Okay, moving on. Um, when we talk about this topic, we want to talk about investigating the ecosystems. So how do we get the data that we're going to use to figure this stuff out? Um, when we do this, guys, there's a lot of embedded videos in this lecture. I really do want you guys to watch those videos. These videos go into the nuts and bolts of how to actually do this in the field um, as opposed to just like listening to me sit at my desk and tell you how to do it. First thing we need to talk about is this idea of animal experimentation and IB does have very particular rules on animal experimentation. So anytime you set up your experiment, think, can I replace the animals by using cells or plants or even computer simulations? Can I refine the experiment to alleviate any harm or distress? So I can still use rats, as long as I'm not gonna push the rats outside of what they would normally experience. As long as if I'm going to do mark capture, recapture, that these animals aren't gonna be harmed in any way in that process. And can I reduce the number of animals involved? So can I do kind of a sampling instead of an entire population? IB policy does state that you cannot carry out an experiment that causes an animal to experience pain, undue stress, or damaging the mental health. The way we take care of that in my classes, if you're going to use an animal, you basically write it out on an IRB, um, which is the way that we review any experiment, and you have a vet sign off that, yeah, what you're doing isn't going to harm the animal. Um, you want to make sure that you're not going to kill the animal. Death for plants and animals is never a data point. And you need to make sure that you're not altering the diet or the environment beyond what this animal can easily tolerate. Um, note that this includes all organisms, not just vertebrates. And like I said, the workaround is to have a vet sign off on anything that involves animals. The first way in environmental science that we can pick up data is by using a quadrant. A quadrant is basically a way to sample an environment without having to count everything in the entire environment. So if I wanna know how many roly polies are on campus, I can do it with quadrant sampling. And so I'm gonna make a square of a predetermined size. Now, the size of the organism that you're looking for will determine how big you want your quadrant, how big you want that square. If I'm talking about bunnies, then I'm gonna want a pretty big quadrant. If I'm talking about roly polies, I can do with a smaller quadrant. Then I'm going to place this quadrant at random, right, in my area of interest. And I'm gonna count how many roly polies are in that quadrant. Once I get that, I can average the number of roly polies in all of the quadrants that I've put down. And then I can take that average and multiply it by the total area that I'm interested in studying. And again, that um, blue video is going to tell you kind of the details of this and show it as it's working. So how are you going to place these quadrants? Random is the best way. Um, so map out your study area, draw a grid, and assign each number, each box in that grid, a number, and then randomly pull those numbers. That way you're ensuring there's no experimental bias. You do not want to go, well, I'm interested in roly polies, and I think campus has a ton of them. And then consciously or unconsciously, you place your quadrants where you're gonna find a ton of roly polies. And then it supports your hypothesis. There is sometimes even an unconscious bias for doing that. 
So this method, this random method of mapping it out and placing numbers and then randomly pulling numbers out of a hat is gonna get rid of that unconscious bias. Stratified is where we're going to look at an obvious difference between two sampling areas and two sets of samples will be taken, one in each sampling area. You're gonna deal with each area independently and then sample each area randomly. Transect, um, you can have continuous and systematically sampling along a gradient. So you're gonna look at like a tidal zone from low tide to high tide. Um, as we go from farmland into a woods. Um, the types of transects you're gonna do is a line where you just put like a tape measure along that gradient from low to high tide and you count anything or record anything that touches that line. Um, you could do a belt, which is essentially two tape measures from low to high tide. And now you're gonna record anything between those tape measures. We can do continuous where again, everything is sampled or we can do quadrants along that belt or quadrants along that line. So if you look down here, this is intertidal and they're doing quadrants along a line um, transect. What are we gonna sample then? What are the things we're looking for? If we're talking about a marine ecosystem, we wanna know the salinity of the ocean. Salinity is gonna affect osmoregulation, how well they are balancing the fresh and salt water within the body of the organism. And we're gonna measure it through electrical, electrical conductivity. Okay, fancy terms. Basically, you got a probe that you stick in the water that's gonna just give a readout. The other way you can do is just look at the water density. Um, they have like these little floaty buoys that will tell you. We're gonna look at the pH. Right now, ocean acidity is a big deal as we have more carbon dioxide dissolving into our oceans. We are increasing the acidity of our oceans, which is then breaking down marine organisms. And we're gonna measure this either with a probe, dip a machine in, or with the pH strips that you guys have used in class. Temperature affects the metabolic rates of organisms, um, affects how well enzymes work, affects the solubility of oxygen in water. So cold water holds more oxygen, warm water holds less. So if our oceans get warmer, they hold less oxygen, which means less organisms. We're gonna look at dissolved oxygen. So we can um, kind of diagnose eutrophication if I see that the water's got very low oxygen levels. And again, measure it with a probe, or there's a Winkler method that in normal years we do in class, it's like titration like you did in chemistry. And then we're gonna measure wave action. So this increases dissolved um, oxygen. So if there's a lot of waves, we have more oxygen dissolving. And it will decrease light permeability. If light permeability decreases, so does photosynthesis. In a freshwater ecosystem, we're gonna measure turbidity. Turbidity, how cloudy is the water? If the water is really cloudy, because you have high turbidity, you have low amounts of photosynthesis. Vice versa, low turbidity, clear water, high ray of photosynthesis. And we're gonna measure this with a Secchi disc. It's a round disc and it's got black and white triangles on it. And you drop it in and the point at which you can no longer distinguish between the light and the dark spaces on this disc, that's where your turbidity is the highest. Um, flow velocity is the speed at which the water is moving and it's gonna vary with season. Obviously after a rain, you're gonna have more velocity in your river. It's gonna differ with depth. So surface might flow slower than deeper currents. Um, your position in the river, the center flows faster than the edges. It's measured by an impeller and a float. 
um, the float is kind of old school, right? You guys probably do this when you were kids where one person stands at one place and like you throw a pine needle into a moving water and you see it go down the stream. Well, how could I use that to measure velocity? I stand at one point, you stand a meter down the river. I put a pine cone in and we measure how long it takes to get to you a meter down the river. We're also gonna measure pH, temperature dissolved, oxygen, and maybe even salinity if it's a marshy area. Terrestrial ecosystems, I'm gonna look at the air temperature. Um, I'm gonna look at the light intensity. Air temperature is measured with a thermometer or your iPhone. Light intensity, I have electronic meters that will do that. Wind speed um, is like these little cup things that spin around, um, or just observation, right? So I can look out my window in my classroom right now and see the trees bending over. That tells me something about wind speed. And then rainfall, I'm gonna use a rain gauge, basically a cup with measurements on the side. In the soil, I'm gonna look at the particle size. So the particle size affects the soil drainage and the water holding capacity. I'm gonna look at the moisture, so the amount of water in that soil. I'm gonna look at the organic content. So what is it made of? And the mineral content using testing kits. Um, to measure biotic components, I'm gonna look at the biomass and productivity for plant. I have lost the ability to speak today. It's a Monday. I'm recording this on a Monday and I apologize for that. For plant biomass, collect the sample and wash it to remove any debris, then dehydrate it and weigh it, and that's your plant biomass. Um, marine productivity is measured by comparing the amount of oxygen produced through photosynthesis in a sample in the light and a sample in the dark. Terrestrial productivity is measured by comparing the biomass of quadrants where plants are allowed to photosynthesize versus quadrants where we put plants in the dark, we just put a tarp over that land. I'm gonna measure population size. So small motile organisms, I can do a pitfall trap where I dig a hole in the ground and I usually put a fencing along the side of that hole and a lot of small things like rats and mice will run up to a fence and then run along it and drop into the hole. I can do a sweep net, which is the results up here that you see, where I just go through a field with a net and I sweep back and forth and whatever do I collect in that net. And then literally tree beating. I can go up to a tree and shake it with a net underneath and whatever falls out, I count. In aquatic ecosystems, I can place a net downstream and shuffle my feet to disturb everything and get it into the net. Abundance is the density the number of plants per meter squared, or the frequency, the percentage of the total area where that particular species is found, or the coverage, how much area is covered by each species. And you can see the differences in the graphs over here. Lincoln Index, guys, watch the video because you're gonna have to do the math on this. It's a way to measure mobile animals, like a deer or a coyote. So establish your study area, capture a portion of your population. So in years past, and you guys might have been a subject of this as a freshman, I would have your class go out and count how many freshmen are on campus. So you'd go out on a campus and capture 25 freshmen. And then you would mark them in a way that doesn't harm them, isn't permanent, doesn't make them more likely to be prey, um, but yet it's gonna hang out on that individual until you wanna recapture them again. Let them go, let them intermix, and then go back in a day or a week and capture individuals again. Now you're gonna compare how many individuals are marked versus not marked in that second grouping. 
So if you look here, n is your population size. Little n1 is how many you first marked and released. So in my example, that's 25. Little n2 would be 25 again, right? So I go back out onto campus, I capture another 25 freshmen. And m2 is out of that second capturing, how many are marked? So you have to be able to do this math. Simpson's diversity is a little different and you're gonna do this math as well, so please watch the video. It's looking at the different number of species and their abundance in a given area. Expressed mathematically and know that the higher the number, the greater diversity. An area can have lots of animals but low diversity if they're all the same species. Watch the video. And then you can use a dichotomous key to identify organisms. It's called that because you get um, two questions at each level and you get more and more specific with your questions until you identify the organism. So if you look here, bird W, my first question is the beak is relatively long and slender or is relatively stout and heavy. Well, this looks stout and heavy. If it's stout and heavy, I go to question two. The bottom is flat and straight or the bottom is curved. Flat and straight, well, if it's flat and straight, it tells me what that species is. All right, guys, that is the end for today. Um, and we'll move on with diversity next lecture. Thanks for putting up with my mumbling and my stumbling. <laughs>